0: Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're here to talk about solutions to America's dropout crisis, and we're not necessarily focusing on policy changes. We're not talking about technology infusion, but today we're going to talk about human capital and how this advances the work of education. Today we're proud to be broadcasting from city year international headquarters here in Boston with City Year founder, co-founder and CEO Michael Brown. Thank you very much for having us here today.
1: Matt, it's great to be with you. What
0: a, what a great place you have here. Quick framing for anyone who may not know the City Year brand. Your origin story, how did this come about, and uh, what is it?
1: Sure, well when I was 20 years old I took a year off from, uh, from Harvard. Uh, on the very first day that I arrived at the University, the president of Harvard said I want to welcome you to Harvard and ask you to please go away." And what he meant by that was, take a year during your education and maybe find your passion and then come back. And I did that. I worked for Congressman Leon Panetta, today's Secretary of Defense. Uh, When he was a member of Congress, he turned me on to the idea of voluntary national service, the idea of calling on young Americans to give a year or more to work on the needs of the nation and to build their own skills uh, and hopefully get a commitment to a lifetime active sense of citizenship. And together with my college roommate, Alan Casey, we became so inspired by this idea that we decided to start an institution that could work on the concept of national service. We call it City Year because just like young people do a junior year or senior year, we think they should be able to do a City Year where essentially their classroom is their community and their country and the needs and they learn from their experience and have a sense of civic efficacy. That was uh, now 23 years ago. We reached out to private companies to sponsor us. Today, we are a private-public partnership. Uh, We have corporate sponsors that sponsor us across the country, as well as school districts that support our work, as well as AmeriCorps uh, that is supporting all of our young people across the country.
0: What made you decide, of all the different service avenues you can go down, what made you decide to focus not necessarily just on education, but education in the classrooms and outside the classrooms?
1: Well, Matt, when we started City Year, we actually were broader. We wanted to demonstrate that national service could sort of be the yeast and the bread was the metaphor for all the nonprofits that could utilize the youthful energy and idealism of young people. And so what we did is we said, essentially, how can we help meet your needs with young people? Over time, we realized, though, we were being drawn into schools. Schools really saw us a very unique asset. And five years ago, we did a strategic planning process that asked just one big question, is how can we have more impact? And we realized that if we focused in high poverty schools and were there from seven in the morning and till six or seven at night, we could have the biggest possible impact. And since then, that focus has led to a great deal of innovation uh, and entrepreneurship within our organization where we're seeing more and more impact every year. So seven in the morning to seven at night,
0: what are these red-jacketed young people doing in those classrooms?
1: So what we do is, uh, as you mentioned, they're in uniform, so you can't miss the city or your core. Red jackets, khaki pants, it's a, it's a sense of sort of like, this is a core that's exciting, you're drawn to them. And what we do is um, we start at the schoolhouse steps every single morning, outside, rain or shine. And we are literally in teams of 10 or more We're clapping for the students and cheering for them when they enter the building as well as the teachers. So you can't enter a school that where City is at without that sense of excitement, welcome to school. The core members, as we call them, know the children by name. They say, how are you doing? Where's your homework? Get a sense of how they're feeling today and get them pumped up for a great day of of school. Then they follow them inside and at 9 o'clock in the morning, any student that's absent We'll get a phone, we'll get the list, we'll get a, the parents will get a phone call by 9 a.m. or if it's a high school student, we directly call their cell phone and say, where are you today? We need you, come on in. And then we're in the classrooms. We're helping teachers differentiate instruction. The teacher may need to work with the kids who need the most remediation or to be able to give the lesson of the day and say to the core member, you work with these students. Our core members are able to do push-in and pull-outs to be able to get to the kids that have the most need We work with focus lists of students that are prepared in advance by teachers and administrators. These are the kids that are falling off track and our core members lean into them. At lunchtime, we're doing mentoring. We're sitting with students at lunch and having conversations um, about what's going on in their lives. And we found that that can really dramatically impact their mood, their ability to connect and feel welcome in school and really surface any issues that may be holding them back from fully participating in their education. Then we go back into the classrooms for the afternoon. Definitely 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Exactly <laughs> and then, we're in, uh, um, then we stay to run after school programs that are academic based as well as fun and we also do things such as um, leading school assemblies, um, campaigns that a principal wants to put on um, and engaging parents in parent events, and physical and community service that happens on the school grounds. It's, I I, I tease our core, I say you only work a half day, it's 12 hours. And most of them are up at five in the morning as they head off to their schools.
0: Unbelievable, now when you made this shift sort of in, in, in focus five years ago, how have you noticed the changes in these school communities over the past five years as you've sort of evolved and seen this shift affect students?
1: What we've tried to do is, is go from becoming an, orga- an organization that says, well, schools are a nice place to volunteer, to saying that national service can be a new human capital strategy that is really essential to how a school can conceive of itself succeeding in a high-poverty environment. Um, Johns Hopkins University came up with a breakthrough series of research that had a profound impact on our organization. It found that over a million students are dropping out of High school every single year in the country. And other studies have shown that that costs our country as much as, uh, you know, $300,000 over the course of a lifetime of even one student. Over the course of a decade, that'll be $3 trillion. That's in lost wages, that's in incarceration rates, that's in poor health, that's associated with dropping out of high school. It's essentially a fast track to an underclass. It's also the number one civil rights issue of our generation because most of the schools that are producing dropouts are the same schools often located in the high poverty areas that they've been located in the same schools for 30 years often students of color so we have to address this as the number one civil rights issue but Johns Hopkins when the research went even further it found that 12 percent of all the high schools in the country are producing 50 percent of the dropouts which means you can you can go to where the need is And it further found, and this is what had a dramatic impact on our strategy and what we're seeking to do, it found you can identify who's likely to drop out by early warning indicators. As early as the sixth grade, high absences, poor behavior, and course failure in math or English. Those neatly come down to ABCs, absences, behaviors, and course performance. Now what we do is we give our core members those metrics. They work to improve absences, to make sure that students are there and they're on time. They do that through relationships, through calling home, and through tutoring students so they feel good about coming to school and being on track. They work on their behaviors through mentoring, and they work on their course performance uh, through direct tutoring. And so our core members can actually see the results as can uh, the principals and the the teachers in the school. And what we're finding is that we're able to get some very exciting results. So we're sitting here in Boston. Here in Boston, uh, we're in 14 schools, heading up to 23 next year. Um, In this past year alone, our core has helped to reclaim 15,000 hours of student learning hours just by ensuring that students are in the building, just by changing the attendance and tardiness rates through the calling and through the relationship building. Um, we've also been able to show that we've been able to improve literacy um, uh, rates uh, significantly here in Boston and uh, across the country with regards to uh, students being, um, meaning their grade levels. Um, and so it's, it's tremendously exciting. Uh, and I think the main headline in all of this is that schools are really never designed to have so much need, um, high poverty schools. Schools were probably designed to have about 10 percent of the students need extra support but in a high-poverty community where students are coming in oftentimes off track to begin with regards to their early literacy, and then for a variety of reasons in their own lives, either staying or falling further off track, a teacher simply can't, no matter how wonderful she is and a great administration, can't remediate all of that without more human capital in the building, and that's the concept here. Let's bring young people highly trained to work against early warning indicators, using evidence-based practices with metrics that matter.
0: I think what's really particularly special about this is you said it: young people. These mm-hmm. are people between the ages of what? 18 and 24?
1: Exactly. That's exactly who and, they are. And
0: they're doing this incredibly transformational work. I was speaking with a couple of core members right before and I said what do you tell your parents that you do? Because you're not in TFA, you're not a teacher, and you're not just doing service and painting schools. You are a sort of inspiring jack-of-all-trades within the education system.
1: hmm they're, they're, they're success mentors. They're performance coaches. Um, they're that older brother and sister that you, you look up to and want to be just like. In fact, when, when we were doing our work five, six years ago of looking at, at, at how we could be even more effective, um, we had some folks look at us and they said, look, your number one asset is that you have a near peer relationship between your core member who's average age of 22 and the students. That near-peer relationship is incredibly exciting because the students look up to those students, look up to the core members, and the core members remember what it was like to be in middle school or in elementary school and high school. They're just a few years out. They share a lot of the, um, uh, the, the music. They share what's happening in society, and they're not the authority figure. They're not supposed to be, but yet, yet the students want to succeed with them and for them. So in some ways, it's, it's like an authority figure, but it's really that sort of big brother, big sister in their life.
0: And last question. The culture of City Year, uh, again, back to talking with the, the two core members, it is unlike any place else. I said, what is, what is a peer organization to City Year? They said, I can't think of one. The culture here is so unique. It's so profoundly different and inspiring. As a co-founder, as someone who helped shape the culture,
1: how, Michael, how did you do it? So, you know, what we... When we started City Year, we said, we need, there's so much idealism in young people, but it gets dissipated because we're a society sometimes that doesn't make it safe for idealism. You can kind of get put down if you're a little idealistic and whatnot. Described as naive. Exactly. And we said, actually, idealism is. It's not just a state of mind, it's not just, you know, being maybe naive, it's actually a process where you can look at something, imagine it being better, and taking very practical steps to get there. But you need a culture that's highly supportive of it. So as we started City Air, we started to create a place that, to make a place that's safe for idealism. So we were inspired by Robert Kennedy's quote in South Africa where he went to South Africa at the height of apartheid. And he said that every time a man, and I I will add a woman, stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against indifference, he or she sends out a tiny ripple of hope. And those ripples of hope, crossing each other through a million different centers of energy and daring, can create a mighty current that can wipe away even the highest wall of oppression and resistance. It's a very powerful, gets quoted a lot. We operationalized it. Before we start a meeting, we say, who's got a ripple? Now a ripple is some active courage or belief that you've seen or implemented and you share it and then others do. So suddenly you may be going to a meeting that's really tough about how we're going to solve a problem but people are upbeat. And everything about our culture is creating that sense of idealism, that sense of a can-do spirit. And it's infectious when it gets to be sort of part of the whole group. And that is something that now we're bringing into schools and schools are saying we love this and, and we love being in these schools.
0: National service was the sort of idea associated with this. Now it seems like amidst all of the education and school reform movements that are occurring and people saying education is the civil rights issue of our time, City Year is very much, to me after all my research and after an hour downstairs with everyone, City Year is very much a major player in that reform movement, would you agree?
1: Well, what we're trying to do is play the biggest part that we can play in our space. Obviously you need incredible teachers, incredible administrators, there's all kinds of things that are important to improving public education. But if we can bring these talented young people in, these near-peer, full-time mentors and role models and tutors, and give them the training uh, and the techniques to be successful, then it becomes a critical player in it for national service. Uh, two years ago, um, we announced our plan to scale all this with uh, Education Secretary Arne Duncan. Our plan is called In School and On Track. And its goal is to reach a majority, at least 50%, of all the students who are off track in every city we serve in, which is a big stretch goal. (laughs) And to do that, you need to reach around 25% of the schools. If you get to the largest schools and the ones that have the highest need, you can reach a majority of the students with these full-time national service young people. And that's our goal where, when we announced that, we were 1,500 core members. Today, we're 2,000. We need to get to around 6,000. And we're doing that with a combination of AmeriCorps, school district dollars, and private philanthropy. Um, And, you know, it's our objective uh, to get there and to have national service play the biggest part it can in um, making sure that American education succeeds.
0: Michael Brown, thank you so much for not just your service to the national sector, but to education, which is what this podcast does devote itself to. Uh, we appreciate it, and you've got a great place here.
1: Thank you, Matt. I really appreciate you being here.
0: This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.